Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 is where we're going to be uh, getting started at. Last week, the Corinthian church was commended for how they were handling a cultural issue of head coverings, and they were using it to teach some good biblical theology and scriptural history. But this week, we will not get a commendation from Paul uh, towards the Corinthians. He's going to say uh, right off the bat, I do not commend you in this next thing. In fact, if you look at all of Paul's writings, these are some of his harshest words to any church. Um, I don't think necessarily that we're going to read this and feel that harshness because we're going to read what they were doing and think, well, that I can see why he was being so harsh about that. Uh, but I do think there's some lessons that we can learn from this. So let's take a look at uh, verse 17, and I'm going to pop it up there, but I'm going to pray real quick. I know John just did, but I'm going to pray again. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray now that you would bless this time that we have together, that you would help us as we look at your word, that you would guide and direct the thoughts that we have today. Uh, Lord, guide and direct my words as I share them this morning. Let them be uh, directly from what you have for us, and I just pray this in your name. Amen. So Paul starts off, verse 17, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So, Put yourself in their situation. Imagine getting a letter from Paul the Apostle and having the, the Apostle say, okay, in the following things, I do not commend you. Okay? That would be a hard thing to hear, and that's what they're hearing right now. Because when you come together, right, as a church, when you guys get together, he says, it's not for the better, but for the worse. That's not good, is it? Uh, this church, when they were getting together, Paul said, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Um, possibly, this was more than just a regular coming together that they had, but a time when it, the entire church came together. And so there's a couple of ideas that maybe this was talking about, not just a regular weekly meeting, but there were times where they had, uh, one commentary said they called them lo a love agape, right? The unconditional love feast, where they were celebrating in a bigger way. Um, some of them said that there was a, this communion time, there was more of a feast that they had on a regular basis. And so they think that maybe this particular coming together wasn't just the weekly getting together, but a time where all of the churches in Corinth, all their little individual fellowships would get together and try to be in one spot at one time. Okay? But listen to what happens, why he says it's not for the better, but for the worse. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, have we heard this word mentioned before in Corinthians? Does anybody remember back at the beginning of Corinthians? Has he used to talk about divisions? Anybody remember what the Greek word was? I don't think anybody's going to remember this, but I just wanted to ask. Anybody remember what the Greek word was for this divisions? Katie might know. Close. It was schism, right? Have you ever heard that word before? Uh, uh, I mean, that we got a word just like that, right? So this word divisions is like a schism, a breaking apart. So Paul says, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you. Now this is actually a different word for divisions, okay? Factions among you. So he says, I hear there's divisions. 
But now in part, there must be some divisions, factions among you, for a certain reason. Now this particular word that's translated factions is the Greek word that Katie just mentioned, is the Greek word heresy. Okay? Now, don't let that confuse you, because the word at this time did not mean false teaching. It just meant a splitting apart. Okay? It came to be known as something else later. But I think it's interesting that Paul says in this particular spot, he says, there, there are these divisions among you, right? But these divisions, uh, there, God still in this has a purpose. And what's the purpose, he says here? That those who are genuine may be recognized. Now, I need to take a, a short pause and explain what I think is the issue that's going on here. Okay? Uh, unlike our church here where we have one building, they would meet in homes. Uh, like that pastor we were just reading about just a minute ago, meeting in homes. I mean, can you imagine all trying to get in one actual house? But in a Roman or a Corinthian house, they had, it wasn't broken apart like ours. And so there's a lot of possibilities of what it could have looked like. But one thing is clearly possible. There was an outer atrium that they would have usually, that would have been the biggest room that they had. But then there was an inner room that would, we would have thought of as like a dining room. And so what typically happened in a Roman setting, if they had a party, right, or a get-together, or any, anything at all like that, there were certain people that came to the inner sanctuary right, the inner dining room, uh, and that was usually, so let's say, let's say in our church, let's, let's pick on somebody here, who do we want to pick on? Let's pick on, uh, um, let's pick on my parents, okay? Um, so let's say, let's say they are, because I'll pick, I'm picking on them because they've, they've been a part of this church for a long time. Not the longest of people in here, I won't mention names, but for a long time, Right? And uh, what would happen in a Corinthian church is you'd have some people that were well off, right? And so let's say, let's say my mom and my dad, let's say they were fairly well off. And let's say they had a larger house. And we, we've actually been to your house for a couple little church get-togethers, right? So their house isn't quite big enough. But let's say they had a bigger house, right? Now, in the Corinthian church, what would happen is they, they might say, hey, we're all going to meet at the harmlesses. Or for them, it might have been Gaius, right? We're going to meet at their church. And for this particular church, we're, we're all going to go there. Now, let's say my mom and dad, they said, okay, and, and say we all start congregating there. Now, let's say they had the, their small dining room in the back, but then they had their big living room. What do you think might happen naturally even in our day and age? Who might kind of filter their way back to the dining room? <laughs> you, <laughs> right? Uh, now, let's be honest, people that know them best, right, might filter back into the dining room. Now, there's going to be food in both places. Oh, so that changes everything. Well, I don't, okay, I don't, I don't, who cares about the dining room? There's going to be food in both places, but, but back in the back, the people that probably know them best, in fact, also the people that probably get off work the earliest, right, might be the first ones that arrive. This is exactly what was happening, happening in these Corinthian churches. So you had the people that were well off, and that would know each other most likely. And there was a broad spectrum of people at the Corinthian church. And so the people that were well off and didn't have jobs that lasted until, you know, late, late hours, they would usually get to the, the church gathering first. 
And they would end up making their way back, probably because they knew who this was. They, they knew Gaius, right? And so they make their way back into the, the inner dining room. And what was typical, what would typically happen, and this wasn't always intentional, but what would tip, typically happen is that the nicest food and the majority of the food ended up in the dining room. So now you're changing your mind again, right? Like, wait, wait a minute, more food back there. But, but that, that could only house about 10 to 12 people. Usually it was a smaller room. And so then the people that were getting there later... Right? People that maybe weren't as well off, weren't as well connected, maybe had to work longer into the day. They might get there later. And by the time they got there for this church gathering that was celebrating right, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they would get there later. And so they would be kind of on the outskirts, right? And they'd be in the, out in the atrium. And there might not be as much food that would make it to them. That's what I think is going on here. Okay? So these divisions that he's talking about here are not as much about what he was talking about at the beginning of the chapter. These divisions are now about social status. Right? Okay. So let's see what he says next. He says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Now this lets you know it must have been a lot different than how we do things. Another gets drunk. Uh, now, so you might be thinking, well, wow, this is really, they're off the rails as a church if this is how the church gathering is going. Now, I know that a few of you, I will not mention names, might go, I'd be in for that service. Okay, but look, look I'm not going to out anybody, okay? But, but this is what was happening. So the people that were getting there first, and they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, not just in this simple way, but they were, it was more like a meal that was happening. Now, they didn't do it this way all of the time, but these occasional, like where they all try to get together. So they're, they're eating and they're celebrating the, the Lord's Supper, right? They're communing together. The ones that get there first, they're drinking all the wine, they're eating all the bread. They're probably more well off anyway. They probably could have eaten at home and come here anyway. But then the people that are arriving later, what's happening? Not, not, nothing's left, Right? Maybe that's where this tradition came from. <laughs> you know, just a little tiny bit. No, that's not how it came. But, uh, but let's say, I mean, but that, maybe that's what's happening. Right? There, there's just a little bit left over, and they're going, okay, we just have a little bit. Paul clearly thinks, I mean, this is, this is horrendous. The fact that they're getting drunk at a celebration of Christ's sacrifice, can you see why he's not commending them? But I want you to listen carefully as to, to, it's not just that part. To us, that might have been the biggest deal. But for Paul, that's not the biggest problem. Listen to what he says next. He says, what? You feel his, this is actually a very Greek um, way of writing. There's other, we actually have other ancient Greek writings. This is a way of say, like showing emotion. Like what? M mocking uh, surprise and shock. He's trying to get across the point. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, or do you despise the church of God and you humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Do you hear what he's saying to this church? This, this is, it's wrong on so many levels. Do you not have houses you can eat? I mean, this... This getting together shouldn't just be about satisfying yourself. Do you despise the church of God? They may not have thought about it like that. 
Can you imagine the, the ones that came, showed up early, right? They're just, having a good, they're just rejoicing and not realizing maybe that they're humiliating the ones that had to work later and then show up later and they feel humiliated because they couldn't get there as quickly as this first group did. Those who have nothing, what should I say to you? Should I commend you? No, no, I'm not going to. And then he goes into this. Now, read through that yourself before I read through it and tell me, does this sound familiar? Do we hear this every week? I think it's interesting because this is where, I mean, we read this every week. But let's think about the context here. There's this church that's celebrating the Lord's Supper and they're missing the point. They're missing the reason behind the celebration. And so what, are this, what does Paul do? He reiterates, this is how it ought to happen. So if you want to, you just want to do it right now? I mean, we're there, we might as well, right? Are you okay with that? I'm going to surprise everybody, throw everybody off. Um, you, you want to do this right now? Let's do this right now. Okay, let me turn my Bible. Okay, so Paul, then right in the middle of this, he stops and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Now, we've been talking about ways to enhance this, okay? Because right now we have this simple setup. We, my mom has been experimenting. I think I mentioned she's been experimenting with different breads, Right? I know how you guys feel about our communion bread, though. Some of you, you got, I've, I've seen you. You're like, that's the best communion bread I've ever tasted. Right? I, think, I, I love that. I love that we, we, there's some measure of enjoyment while we're doing this. I think that should be that. That's a, that's a good part. So I'm not willing to give up this good bread just yet. But I would like to find a way to, to, to deal with the, the, break, the breaking of the bread. Because I think what you're going to hear in Paul's words today when we look at this again there was something he wanted them to see. There, there's a remembering that needs to happen. And you're going to see at the end, there's also a proclaiming that needs to happen. Okay? All right, so I'm going to borrow my two guys if they want to come up here. Um, it says, when, it, when he was betrayed, he took bread. Now, it says that when he had given thanks, you know what the Greek for given thanks is? Eucharist. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, there are some churches that call this, um, some people, they call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. That's where that comes from, giving thanks. Um, some people call this communion. You see that this in this coming together here. But I'm going to go ahead and do what Jesus did. Uh, he says uh, when he had, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. So I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to read through that part again in just a moment, okay? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to have, and we, it's okay, we don't buy has to, unless you want to. Do you just want to? Do you want to pop up there and play some piano music? Yeah, I know you guys get uncomfortable and it's too quiet. So I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to have these guys distribute. Just hold on to that bread. And I'm going to have them, to, right, hold on to the bread in the cup. And I'm going to go through this. We're going to do this together. Try to enter back into this early church thought process. Hearing this again, like, wait a minute. We've been doing this wrong. We've been missing the point. Okay. Heavenly Father, I do want to give thanks for this. Lord, I think back 2,000 years ago. Lord, the night that you were betrayed by a close friend. Lord, you, you were there and you gave thanks for bread and you broke it in front of your disciples. 
Lord, I do just want to give thanks for this bread and for this cup and what it signifies for us. I ask, Lord, that today it would be meaningful. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I continue through this passage after we do this and we, we dig into some other things that Paul had to say. Help us not to be like the Corinthians who, who were missing the point. Help us to see it clearly this morning. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. So just picture that again in your head, just Jesus breaking that bread. And he says this as he's breaking it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to throw out a word about that word remembrance. For them, it didn't just mean to remember something. It, that word can also be translated as a way of entering into something. Like trying to think, I, like I want to put myself like mentally back in time to, to be in his spot. To die, dying on that cross. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. And, and in entering back... Not just remembering like, oh yeah, I remember that, but like trying to think back. This is why I love the, the value of the God-given ability to imagine, right? Use your imagination and think back. Christ on the cross, this is my body broken for you. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, thank you for clicking for me. Now, verse 27, after we've entered into this, and we're thinking carefully about it, verse 27 says this, Whoever therefore, you might be thinking, I wish you would have read this one before I just did this. I didn't do that for a purpose. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I learned something about this that I think is hugely important. I'm going to borrow from Ben Witherington. He says this. He says with... Um, I may need you to click. It's not clicking for me. He says, with unworthy, Paul refers to those who are partaking in an unworthy manner. Not to the persons who are themselves unworthy. That's important because that's how I always read that. Ben Witherington has a footnote in his thing. It says this, which, which would, of course, include everyone if we were, who's unworthy. Who's, who in here is worthy? Nobody. And so he put a footnote. He says, which would, of course, include everyone. One does not share in the Lord's Supper because one is personally 
worthy of doing so. It's a gift of God's grace. So when he's talking about those who, in an unworthy manner, he's not talking about that you personally. He's talking about the manner, an unworthy manner, the way that you're doing this. I don't know if I have the next one there. Um, uh, where he continues the, the, the examination called for in verse 28 that we're about to read uh, is to be one's consideration of how properly to partake of the supper. Not an introspective assessment of one's worthiness to partake, but, but a, a stepping back and saying, am I, am I processing this the correct way? The manner, am I doing this in a worthy manner is the key emphasis. So when he says this next in verse 28, yeah, I'm still not clicking. Um, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This examining of himself, I've always read this as a like an introspection. But what Paul's talking about, the connection here of what Paul's talking about is this examining oneself is examining to see how you're doing it. Are you doing this in a way that is honoring to the Lord? The Corinthians were not. Some of them were eating their fill and getting drunk, right? And leaving the poorer of the ones out to, to, to go without. I mean, that's the opposite of gospel message, is it not? Where Christ came for who? The poor. There was a tradition that they had in Corinth at this time that actually eventually turned into, like we Christians, we, we grabbed it and confiscated it for ourselves, um, it, and called it Christmas. Um, it was something else before. It was called Saturnalia, right? Do you hear the word Saturn at the beginning there? Saturnalia was a, a feast. It was celebrated in December. And guess what they did? They, they gave gifts, right? Um, Christians, we confiscated. We're like, uh, Satan, you can't have anything. We're taking that. Um, and we're going to celebrate the fact that Christ, the, the Savior, came. But the Saturnalia was a time when the Greeks would say, um, we're going to turn everything upside down. So the, the inner dining room where the best got fed and the poor and the servants usually waited out there and got what was left over. And during Saturnalia, the Greeks, the non-Christian Greeks, would, they, they would turn it upside down. They would, they would invite in the poorest of the poor into the inner sanctuary. And the, the ones who were well off would do all the serving. They were doing this anyway. And I think what Paul is doing, this is, I, I'm going to be honest, I have no way to prove this. I just, I'm just guessing. I think we're, we're getting a glimpse of this idea of Christians redeeming the things of this world for Christ. And Paul is describing so much, in so many ways, what he's describing is what is typically known as the Saturnalia Feast, where everything's turned upside down. And Paul's saying, you were so close. But it's not about Saturn, it's about Christ. And every time you as a church get together, it ought to be professing this type of upside down thought process where the poorest of the poor are looked after first. And you're preaching, and what did he say at the very end? Proclaiming, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the death of Christ in even how you do things. So when we come into church and we're doing this, uh, for us, some people getting well-fed and others not, I mean, that seems so foreign to us because we're all doing the exact same thing. 
But there's other ways that we can do this. When, when people are coming in, there ought not to be anyone who's humiliated based on anything when they walk in these doors, right? The poorest of the poor, those who are well off, we're, you're all, come on in. Come on in. And if you are coming here today and you want to partake of this because you go, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe my only hope is what he's done. Then I encourage you to joyfully partake in this. The unworthy manner, if you've been reading that thinking, oh, I've got to be worthy, I've got to be a good enough of person, I need to have been living right to be able to do this, that's not what that's talking about. It's talking about how you come recognizing your own unworthiness and you, you do what? You say, God, by your grace, I'm going to partake of this to remember and to proclaim. Remember and proclaim. Now, verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself, um, continuing this thought process, Ben Witherington again, and I don't think I have um, this one uh, laid out for you, but Ben Witherington says this, he says, those who partake in an unworthy fashion abusing the meal are liable or guilty in some sense of the body and blood of the Lord. They are partaking without discerning or distinguishing the body. And I think meaning, there's a dual meaning. Some people try to figure out, is the body this? Or is the body this? And I think it is. I think it's both. When we're, when we're partaking, an aspect of it, discerning the body. I'm thinking about what Christ did on the cross. Remembrance. But I'm also proclaiming. I'm thinking about the body. So, so to, to, to do this uh, and thinking about everybody that's in this building, what they're going through, I think we ought to be doing that while we're partaking. What's happening with them? What's going on with them? I think that this time that we have here can be a, a, an amazing time of remembering what Christ has done and refreshing our spirit, saying, man, I, I'm not worthy of this, but man, by God's grace, I can come here and I can, I can remember again, I can enter into, he, he, he went to that cross, and you can look up, he went to that cross, and he, he died on that cross, and my sinfulness has been, been, has been paid for by his sacrifice, by his grace, his, his righteous life is imputed to me. I, I love the word scandal. When you really enter into the goodness of what God has done, it starts to feel a little bit scandalous, doesn't it? I have moments where I go, how can this be okay? How, how, how can I get away with the things I've done and, and by His grace be made righteous? How is that possible? And this can be a time of remembering. But it's also a time of proclaiming because after we get done with this, we ought to have eyes open that are walking out of this building going, what's happening in their life? What's happening in their life? What's happening in their life? Now, this is going to take an <clears throat> unusual turn. Verse 30 then says something else. It says this, <clears throat> That is why many of you 
or weak and ill, if you could click to that one. Oh, you already did. Wow, this is not working at all. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, <clears throat> not at all meaning, when we read this, that we ought to look and flip it around and say, every time somebody gets weak and ill and died, it must be because they've done something wrong. John chapter 9, and the blind man throws that out the door. Do you remember around that, that blind man, born blind? And what do the disciples say? They say, who sinned? This man or his parents? Somebody sinned for him to be blind. Jesus says, nobody. This actually happened. This has been this way. He has had this whole life of suffering as a blind person for this moment that God might be glorified. So we ought not to read this and, and flip it around and, and start to go, well, if somebody's weak and ill, it must be because they've done something wrong. You, you, you can't do that. But we also can't eliminate entirely because of what Paul says right here. Prophetically speaking, Paul's looking at this Corinthian church and he says, some of them, there must have been some sickness that came through that Corinthian church. People had gotten sick, and some of them had died from it. And Paul didn't want them to miss that, hey, this, that particular sickness, those particular deaths are because of how you've trampled on Christ. He says next in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Judged, evaluated, sifted. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So Paul's wanting them to see this as a discipline measure, to turn them around, to change the way that their church has gone. And he ends with these last two verses. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. That word wait could uh, genuinely be translated welcome one another. Wait for one another. Welcome one another. If anyone is hungry... Let them eat at home, right? This, this particular meal, this particular gathering is not just about satisfying yourself. There's a, a purpose of remembrance and proclaiming. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I'll give you directions when I come. And we're going to stop right on that note. He says, well, the other, there's, there's more to say about it. But I'll give you those other directions when I come. But I'm going to end on this thought here. And I want to ask you some questions. I want to, I'm going to try to get some participation as we end this, okay? If the two purposes are remembrance and proclaiming, did you see that back in those verses? It says, you remember the Lord's death until he comes, right? You proclaim, I'm sorry, you proclaim the Lord's death. Do this in remembrance of me. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's focus on those two things, remembrance and proclamation. When we're doing this, in what ways, I've given you a few ideas, but I'd love to hear some from you. In what ways can you remember when we're doing this. You can use some of the ones I've already mentioned. Come on now. Don't leave Prayer. me hanging. Yes, what? Prayer. Prayer. Amazing tool, right, as we're sitting here. And I think if you're talking about like, okay, we're sitting here and I hand these out, one of the things you can be doing is praying, right, while it's coming around. Uh, I, I do that a lot of times when I'm standing up here and they're passing those things out. I'll, I'll be standing up here saying, 
Lord, I pray that you'll help me to remember, you know, just in my own head. Lord, help me to remember. Help me to really remember. I, I'm going to be honest. There's moments where I, I forget you're all in the room, and I'm sitting up here thinking, Lord, I need to remember. I don't want to forget. Lord, help me to remember that you died on the cross for my sins. And yeah, so praying. What's another? What's another? Think, let's think the remembering part for a minute. What else can you do to maybe help or, yeah? Mm, excellent. Yeah. And I, I love that we have our cross up here, right? But you don't need that, right? With your imagination, visualizing, thinking back. I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul says on the night he was betrayed. That helps you enter into the story, doesn't it? That Jesus, he was betrayed. If you've ever been betrayed, is that a good feeling or a bad feeling? It ba it's one of the worst, isn't it? Aside from the physical things that Christ went through, think about that part of it for a second. The night that he was betrayed lets you enter into that story and visualize what Christ was going through leading up to the cross and then maybe visualizing him on the cross, trying to think through the, the pain and the suffering that he went through. I always try to think about the, the fact that he could have stopped it at any moment. I mean, that's so impressive to me. In Christ's humanity, I know he was God in the flesh, but he, in his humanity, it would have been so, I, I think, tempting to at some point go, I've had that, I've, no. Right? Especially may, maybe the physical part, but then the mocking, the mockery, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? To know that he could have called, what, what some people say, he could have called 10,000 angels. Maybe the, when, when they're, they're down, they're going, oh, the king of the Jews. Or how about when they, when they were smacking him and they said, oh, who struck you? We'd have been tempted to go, you know, Gaius, it was you. I know it was you. He didn't do it. I mean, you talk about tough. Amazing. What else? Remembrance. These are all good things. Yeah. Remember how broken I am. That takes away all pride. Or mm. Yeah. It, you ever feel like just a broken human? I, I've had some of those thoughts the last week. You just feel like a broken person. And you just think, um, I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, but when my water leak started happening, I, I had, I'm just going to tell you, I had a straw that broke the camel's back moment. Um, and I, I, I went through about an hour of just, I'm going to be honest with you, I was just mad. And by the end of my anger, then I felt really broken. What's wrong with me that I would respond? That, um, you know, and you, you guys don't know what, I'm, I'm a pastor. Pastors aren't supposed to respond that way, right? And so then I have all that stuff going in my head, like, you're a pastor, you're going to preach tomorrow, and you're acting like this? Come on. And I was, man, I was just so frustrated. And, you know, just felt, by the time I was done, by the end of the night last night, I just felt like a, you ever feel like a crust? <laughs> you, ever, you know what I mean by that? Just a, a crust of a person. You just feel like a, like, you know, somebody bumping, you're just going to, He's, I just felt like, or I always remember, there's this book, one of my favorite books as a kid, the, 
the author said, I, I felt like um, butter, too little butter spread over too much bread. I always like that visual picture. Uh, you have those moments like that. And you do, you think about your broken, this is for you. Christ was broken for you. He's, he's not going to look at you and think, like I was telling myself, come on, Matt, get a grip. What's wrong with you? You're a pastor. You shouldn't be responding like that. I genuinely believe when, one of the things we can remember is like Christ is going, know what it feels like to be betrayed. Know what it feels like to be broken. And so when you take this, remember, enter into, remember. Any, anything else for the remembrance side? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. I wasn't even thinking that direction, but you're absolutely right. Because of all that he's, how can we hold something against someone else when this is being offered to us? Oh, that's so good. I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, there, what, I can't think of that. There's this artist um, paints all these Christian-themed paintings. They're just amazing. But there's one where, where it, it, he's like the one that's hammering the nail. And I always love that one because I, I, I think that Christ, that's, I mean, that's such a picture. I mean, it was, it was our sins that I think in, in, a, in, a, in a way that we're nailing him to the cross. And yet he's, he's dying on that cross for us in our sinfulness. Paul says in another place, from when you, we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous person, someone might die. Doesn't it say that? But for the ungodly, who would do that? Scandalous. That's what Christ did. I don't want to cut off the remembrance, but let's shift into the proclaiming. I think what we're doing right now is proclaiming that. What other ways can we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes? Maybe with this, but maybe if I might say a few moments afterwards, part of the service. What, what ways can we proclaim? I think gospel. I think the good news. Do you have any ideas? I'll point you in a direction. Were the Corinthians proclaiming it very well when the best off got the most and the least, the worst off got the least? Were they proclaiming it very well there? No. So one way we can proclaim is by flipping things like that upside down. I, I think as a church, we, we, we don't really, we don't, I don't think we have an issue with that. We're, well, for the most part, we're not, many of us are that well off right? That kind of helps a little bit. But uh, being concerned, I think, about everyone else's needs in the church, knowing what's going on. I know sometimes we come here and we just want a word. You ever come into church and you go, I just want a word. I just need a word this, this day. And then you, you, you pop in and you start realizing everybody else is needing a word too. And you can proclaim 
by taking your needs, sitting them on the side, and ministering to the others that are walking in this building, aware? What are the ways? That's the way I was thinking. But what other ways might we proclaim until he comes? Oh, I just thought of another one. I want to say it yet. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I love when you share the, the stories of these things. It always proclaims it to me because I'm just thinking about the difficulties that others are going through that are so much more drastic than what I'm going through. Um, God's working, right? Yeah. We should go out with a different mindset that we're in this world to win others and to share the gospel mm-hmm. that others might be saved or not. Yeah. That proclaiming, taking it with us. Uh, one of the ways that popped in my head a minute ago is I always try to encourage in the room, even though when we talk about considering and thinking about where you've been, I always love that it says, um, Paul says, consider and then eat. You think about how you're doing and then do it. And I always want to proclaim the Lord's death by telling everybody in this room, if you're, if you're coming today, no matter how broken and messed up you are, I encourage you, this is for you too. There's nobody that's so far gone that at any point they can't turn to God's grace. And it doesn't matter how messed up you've been through the week. If you walk into these doors and you go, oh man, I just need God, then I encourage you, take it. Not because you've been good, but because you know how much you need God's grace. Anybody else? May has one more. I just don't want to cut anybody off. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pray in closing. I'm going to dismiss you. Next week, is it next week? Next week we're having a meal. Right? Now, I know that one part of the meal that we'll have during the service will be this. But I'm going to be thinking about those Corinthians a little bit. And as we go through and we're celebrating together and we're rejoicing and we're fellowshipping together, it is, did you say a soup Sunday, right? We're going to have soup together, rejoicing together. It'll be an opportunity to proclaim to each other as everybody partakes. So if you, if you forget and you don't have anything to bring, that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, you don't have to go, oh, I, I forgot or I didn't have anything. I, I, no, eat, right? Eat with us, fellowship with us. It's an opportunity for us that have to proclaim the Lord's death, proclaim the gospel, that the haves and the have-nots, that line is gone in the body of the church, Okay? Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this day. I thank you for this that you've given us to remember and to proclaim. Help us this week, Lord, to remember all that you've done. Lord, in our brokenness, in our weaknesses, help us to remember and to remember and to remember just to enter back in. I pray that when we partook of this today, that those, those thoughts would carry through through this week, remembering what you've done for us. Lord, help us as well to proclaim your death until you come. 
Lord, through doing this, we know that we can proclaim your death. Lord, help us to proclaim it in so many ways that in every opportunity that we have to, to be a visual representation of the good news of the gospel. Help us to be gracious people. Help us to be kind people. Help us to be loving people. Help us to be sacrificial people. Doing all these things to picture what you did for us in your death, burial, and resurrection on that cross. I pray these things now for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.